podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Vietnam. No, that's not it. That's not me. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. I hope you're all well. Today is Friday. It is, I believe, the 25th of August. And the sun is kind of shining. Kind of. Not fully. There's a bit of rain here and there. But it's it's decent. We're going to take that. We're going to take that for today's weather. Right, folks. We are going to start off with a recap of last night's Europa League. Or, well, we'll go through the results and see if anything of note popped up. 
uh, Europa League, Europa Conference League. Then we'll do news and gossip. Then we'll go to break. And then we'll bring in the one and the only Mr. Guy, Gus Drinkle. Right. Europa League to start with. Slavia Prague 2, Zoria. Now, this, by the way, this is the part of the show where I flagrantly mispronounce lots and lots of team names. So, uh, Slavia Prague 2, Zoria Luhansk 0. Hacken 2, Aberdeen 2. Hacken had a player sent off. Aberdeen came back from 2-0 down in that one uh, to grab a draw and head home, I would say, with the advantage in the tie. Ludogorets won Ajax 4. Mohamed Kudus with a hat-trick. Interesting that he played, given West Ham are meant to be close to agreeing a deal for him. For him, you'd wonder if the deal is as close as has been made out, given that he was starting in this game. Remains to be seen, I suppose. Uh, Olympia nil, Quarabeg two, Dinamo Zagreb three, Sparta Prague one, Union St. Gilles two, Lugano nil. Slovan Bratislava 2, Aris of Limassol 1. Uh, the Norwegian club I had great difficulty difficulty with yesterday 1. Uh, Sheriff Tiraspol 1. Olympiakos 3, Kukariki 1. Lask 2, Zrinski 1. So there we go. Uh, second legs of those ties will be played next Thursday. Ajax... Big advantage going home with a 4-1 lead. The only other teams that won by multiple, Quarabeg going home with a 2-0 lead, you'd give them a heavy advantage as well. But, you know, Slavia, St. Gelos, Dinamo and Olympiacos, they all have two goal leads, but they do have the second legs away. So they will be difficult to get through, but you'd still feel confident. Hopefully Aberdeen can get the job done there and get themselves into the group stage. It would be an an incredible achievement for Aberdeen if they could land themselves in the group stage of the Europa League. Uh, In the Conference League, then, Spartak Ternava won, Dnipro won. I think I went through that one. That was Wednesday. Hibernian nil, Villa 5. I did go through those two. On to yesterday's games, then. Uh, Topol won... Victoria Plisson 2, Astana 1, Partizani 0, Struga 0, Briobolik, Briobolik, I'm going to go with Briobolik, it's likely wrong, but that's what I'm going with, uh, they won 1-0 away to Struga, uh, Zalkaris 0, Ferencvaros 4, Nordelsjan 5, Partizan Belgrade 0, Nordelsjan is a talent factory, but to beat to beat Partizan 5-0 is a very, very impressive result. Uh, Lesky Sofia won. Eintracht Frankfurt won. Randall Kolomuani continues his hot start of the season. Fenerbahce 5-21. Really, really impressive result there for Fenerbahce. They, like Galatasaray, have spent quite a bit of money this summer. And um, they'll be hoping for a big season. Dinamo Kiev 2, Besiktas 3. 
Good win for Besiktas away from home. Maccabee Tel Aviv 4, Selge 1, Sepsi 2, Bodo Glimt 2, Rapid Vienna 1, Fiorentina 0. That's a surprising result. Fiorentina, obviously, no Amrabat, who's currently not being considered for selection. Uh, Farul 2, HJK 1, Lille 2, Rijeka 0, Lenny Euro. Outstanding young centre-back prospect. He got the winner in that one as Lille came from 1-0 down to win the game. Mittelian 3, Legio uh, Warsaw 3. Genk 2, Adana Demispor 1. Ghent 2, Applewell 0. Osasuna 1, Club Bruges 2. Uh, Andreas Skov Olsen with the goal, with, with a goal, I should say, in that one. Balkani 4, Bate 1. Hearts 1, PAOK 2. Disappointing for Hearts at home, having gone one up. Be a tough ask now for them to uh, to get through that tie. And AZ Alkmaar 1, Bran 1. Alkmaar would have hoped to win that game at home, you'd imagine. But um, yeah, again, we've got a couple of games that look a couple of ties, rather, that look over and done with. Ferenc Farosh, Nordlsjend, Fenerbahce and Maccabee Tel Aviv. You would expect them all to qualify quite comfortably, as well as Aston Villa from the night before. But we did see a couple of times last year in this competition where a team might win the first leg 4-0 and then lose the second leg 5-1. Something crazy like that. So we'll see what happens. I wouldn't necessarily say they're over, but especially Ferenc Varosh, who won 4-0 away, it would be... A an absolute catastrophe if they didn't get through from that position. Uh, again, Nordle's the end I would expect to get through. Fenerbahce would expect to get through. I don't know enough about Selge to tell you whether or not they're capable of coming back from 4-1 against Maccabee Tel Aviv, even though they will be at home. Um, let's move on to the news part then. Luis Rubiales, the president of the Spanish Football Federation, is refusing to step down following huge backlash after he decided to throw the lips on Jenny Hermoso after Spain's 1-0 victory over England. Um, This guy seems like a jackass. He really does seem like a jackass. He... First of all, said it was a moment between friends. Then he said people misinterpreting it were just stupid idiots. Then he turned around and apologized. Then footage leaked of him grabbing himself by the testicular region in celebration of whatever was taking place on the pitch. And when you see the second angle of him grabbing himself by the testicular region, you know that stood right by him is the Queen of Spain and her 16-year-old daughter. Um, I'm ready to be vilified to defend my ideals. I don't deserve this manhunt I have been suffering. So his ideals are, are to you know grab himself by the testicles in front of teenage girls and throw the lips on women that have absolutely no interest 
in having your lips thrown upon them. So, uh, yeah, it's time. Kiss was mutual and consensual, is what he's come out and said. This is fantastic. Jenny was the one who lifted me up. I told her, forget about the penalty. I said to her, a little peck. She said, okay. I'm not being funny, but according to what she has said and the complaints she has made, it was not consensual, nor was it mutual, nor did you ask permission. Absolutely bizarre behavior. This man should not have the option to to resign. He should be fired. Uh, Speaking of women's football, though, and on a positive note, uh, Sweden have climbed two spots to go top of FIFA's women's world rankings for the first time in their history. Uh, The USA had spent six years in the number one spot, and they now drop to third. Spain are second. England come in in fourth. Pretty good. Pretty good. Somehow, somehow, Australia, who got to the semi-finals of the World Cup, finished fourth in the World Cup, managed to drop a place in the rankings, and they dropped to 11th. Very, very strange. Let's have a look at the uh, at the full rankings. Here we go. So we have Sweden top, Spain second, USA third, England fourth, France fifth, Germany sixth, Netherlands seventh, Japan eighth, Brazil ninth, Canada tenth. And Australia 11th. I'm not sure how Australia can drop a spot, given they had a very successful World Cup. Uh, Then it goes Denmark, Norway, Iceland, China, Austria, Italy, Belgium, Portugal, South Korea, Switzerland, Colombia, Scotland. And if you're wondering why I'm still going, in 24th spot, the Republic of Ireland. Up the Collins. There we go. Um... Moving on, BBC are reporting that West Ham are still in talks to sign Mohamed Kudus. Uh, They mentioned that Brighton were very, very close to signing the player earlier in the window, but it fell apart over uh, requests for a buyout clause, which doesn't suit Brighton's uh, philosophies. Jurgen Klopp has said that Mohamed Salah is 100% committed to Liverpool, despite fresh... speculation linking him with a move to Saudi Arabia. My bet is he goes next summer. I would be willing to bet to bet that he goes next summer. I think he'll stay this summer. He'll he'll do everything he can for Liverpool and I think he'll go next summer. And I think there'll be a huge amount of money available for him next summer. Uh there's a piece about Jeremy Doku who has completed a fifty five point four million pound transfer to Manchester City. Now, strangely enough, the piece itself 
the piece itself talks about him being almost tailor-made for Man City. I, I genuinely couldn't disagree more. Um, I think he's a tremendous player, talent-wise. We're yet to see him produce on a regular basis, season to season. But I do think in the old Raheem Sterling role, he could have great success. Now, he needs to improve across the board, but consistency is the main factor for him. Tremendously talented young player. Really is. Explosive, great dribbler, very, very good in 1v1 situations. Has had some injuries, which will always remain a concern with an explosive player. But he's probably going to have to play on the right-hand side for City because Grealish is on the left. Doku prefers to play on the left. So he's going to have to adapt to that as well. When he first went to uh, Wren, he played on the right-hand side and he publicly complained about it a couple of times. Um, Manchester United reject significant bid from an unnamed club for England goalkeeper Mary Earps. Uh, Don't blame them. She appears to be, now, I have limited knowledge on this, admittedly, but she does appear to be the best goalkeeper in the female game. So understandable that you would turn down an offer for her. And uh, I, I assume she's happy. I assume United pay quite well in the female game. It is just mad to see, like, she's 5'8". This is just my view. Now, this could be completely ignorant, and if it is, I apologise in advance. I think the pitches and goals in women's football should be smaller. Women are smaller than men in general. Women are not capable of covering the same type of distance as men in the same length of time. And she's five foot eight and she's quite tall for a women's goalkeeper. She's quite tall for a woman, to be fair. Um, there are no six foot four, six foot five men's goalkeepers. And in the men's game, size is prioritized. Like a goalkeeper in the men's game who's six foot is, is considered too small. Um, so I do just wonder if maybe these are tweaks that they could bring in that might might improve the game. And again, it's just just random thoughts. If it's ignorant, I do apologize. I don't think it is, though. I don't think it is. Uh, Luke Shaw is set to miss a significant spell after suffering a muscle injury. That is more bad news for Manchester United. Obviously, they've also lost Mason Mount for the next while as well. Chelsea have signed uh, David Washington from Santos for a fee in the region of €20 million. Uh, I look forward to seeing him on 15 loans. Um, You know how I've always said that I think VAR should be individually recruited and trained and have no connection to referees. Here's why I always said that. 
Former Premier League referee Mike Dean failed to correct a mistake in a match to save his friend and fellow official Anthony Taylor from extra grief. Dean was the video assistant referee for Chelsea 2, Tottenham 2 in August of 2022. Just before a late Harry Kane equaliser, Chelsea felt they should have had a penalty after Christian Romero pulled Mark Kukurea's hair. Dean acknowledged a really bad call for not sending Taylor to review it. I missed the stupid hair pull at Chelsea versus Tottenham, which was pathetic from my point of view. It's one of them where if I had my time again, what would I do? I'd send Anthony to the screen. I think I knew if I did send him to the screen, he's already cautioned both managers. He's having a hell of a game. It's been such a tough game end to end. I said to Anthony afterwards, I just didn't want to send you to the screen after what's gone on. I didn't want to send him up because he is my mate as well as a referee. And I didn't, and I think I didn't want to send him up because I didn't want him getting any more grief than he's already had. So there you go. There you go. He's my mate. The the lack of professionalism is quite staggering. On to the gossip. Crystal Palace are planning to gamble on Belgian free agent Eden Hazard by handing him a one-year deal. Uh, this is an exclusive from Steve K. Steve K, as we know, is an enormous spoofer. So we can file that in the bullshit drawer. Uh, we will be swearing. Brentford have put an £80 million price tag on Ivan Tony with Arsenal and Tottenham interested in signing the player in January. I don't think Arsenal have the money. Arsenal are close to reaching an agreement to send Kieran Tierney on loan to Real Sociedad. The Gunners have agreed a £38 million plus add-ons deal with Monaco for the sale of Fowler and Balogun. That might help them solve the, you know, Julian Timbers now for a year, what do we do question, but they've already spent so much under Arteta that they probably need to start repaying some of the loans that they've taken out. Uh, Manchester United are close to agreeing a one-year contract with Johnny Evans in a move that could raise fresh doubts over the future of Harry Maguire. Tremendous stuff. An unnamed Albanian side are interested in signing Mason Greenwood after the club and player reached a mutual decision for him to leave Old Trafford after an internal investigation. Albania. Tottenham are at loggerheads with Nottingham Forest over the fee to sign Brennan Johnson. Can't be at loggerheads with a club over the fee they want for their player. And it's just silly. Um, Chelsea are also interested in signing Johnson because he's A, a human, and B, a footballer. Aston Villa are interested in Barcelona's Moroccan winger, Abde, but face competition from Bayer Leverkusen for the 21-year-old. Leverkusen want him to replace Moussa Diaby, uh, who went to Villa. Nottingham Forest are set to sign Chelsea's 19-year-old Brazil midfielder Andre Santos on loan until the end of the season. That could be an absolutely spectacular move for Forest. They've also been linked to Murillo, who's a really, really good young Brazilian centre-back. Um, 
Fulham have made an inquiry about signing Eric Dyer. It, Tottenham should be driving him to Craven Cottage and just throwing him out the door. Not even, not even stopping. Just you know, slow down by about five mile an hour. Open the door, chuck him out, and keep going. Uh, the Cottagers are also keeping tabs on Duvan Zabata after Alexander Mitrovic moved to Al Halil. They need better than that, let me tell you. Uh, Man City are set to make a second bid for Matthias Nunes after their first proposal of around 47 million was rejected. And that's from John Percy, so you can take it as gospel. City are prepared to walk away if they do not believe it offers value for money. Uh, That is from a, a much less reliable journalist, shall we say. Uh, Barcelona will sign Joao Cancelo on a season-long loan, but there's no option to buy. That's because if there's an option to buy, it screws at Barcelona's projected finances moving forward. And because of the conditions that they're working under at the moment, they can't afford to do an option to buy. Everton have opened talks with Udinese over a move for Portuguese striker Beto, but the Serie A club will not sell him unless his 30 million release clause is met. Everton seem to think the only thing they're lacking in their team is is a striker. You need wingers, lads. You need people out wide to get the ball and put it into the box. Now I know they think Iwobi and McNeil will do, but there's no there's no pace with those two. You got to have so, at least one with a bit of pace. Uh, Sophie Namrabat was left out of the squad. Yada yada. Bayern Munich's interest in Kenny Tete has led to the cottagers looking at Aizad Alkmaar fullback, Yuki Nari Sugawara. Uh, apologies to Mr. Sugawara. I probably butchered your name. Um, Sheffield United are in talks with Troyes over a deal for Mamad Balde, also linked with Everton recently. The Blades are re are sorry, are also keen to re-sign James McAtee and Tommy Doyle on loan from Manchester City. You can't loan two players from the one club. Uh so maybe City would do a loan with an also would do a, a loan for one and a sale on the other with a buyback. That might be the best course of action. Uh, Burnley's £17 million bid for Johan Bakayoko Bakayoko has been rejected by PSV Eindhoven, who have demanded more for the 20-year-old. I think it'll take probably near double that to get him. I think he's he's incredibly talented. I really do. Right. uh, We will take a break there. There's nothing else... That is becoming newsworthy while I finish this up. Uh, So, yeah, we will take a break there. And when we come back, we will have uh, young Master Drinkle joining us for the remainder to go through this weekend's Premier League game. So I will see you after this. Right. Welcome back. So I am joined by Mr. Drinkle. How are you, sir? Eh, (laughs) <laughs> Liverpool. Sweet. That is the sound made by all Liverpool fans when asked how they are at this point in the window, especially after the nonsensical press conference the manager has just given. Um, but yeah, that is that is how it is at the moment. Right, guy, we have a full weekend of games. 
starting tonight, running through to Sunday afternoon. We have 10 games this week, as opposed to the nine last week. Disappointing for me, there's no Monday game. I have been enjoying the Monday night football. But, uh, yeah, we get Friday night football, and that that is a very good, t- good thing. I, I'm enjoying the Friday night. Yeah, and Luton and Burnley can stop being part-time football clubs now as well. They can pull the finger up. That's exactly it. And whilst on the topic of Luton, they are in our first game. They are away at Chelsea. Um, I I still know nothing of Luton because they've only had the one game and it was Brighton tonking them. And Mm. I could probably say the same about Chelsea, but it's the opposite. I've seen both their games and I still don't know anything other than they're a bit of a mess still. Yeah, and, and that is basically what the situation with them is. They are a bit of a mess. They don't have a set team. They've got a lot of injuries, in fairness, Chelsea. Like, at the moment, uh, Fafana probably on for the season, Nkunku gone till December, Chukwemeka gone for six to eight weeks, Brogia still working his way back, Chalaba working his way back, Reese James out for a few weeks, Mudrick out for a couple of weeks. Badiashile is still way back. Lavi is still not fully fit. And uh, Betanel is long term. So, you know, that is a lot of players to be without. 10 in total. Now, luckily for them, they own 463 players. So they should still be able to field a team. Uh, Luton, on the other hand, Dan Potts, Jordan Clark, and Gabriel Osho all out. Reese Burke and Ross Barkley facing fitness tests. You can be certain that Ross Barkley is desperate to play in this game, having been treated quite poorly by Chelsea uh, in his time there. As you said, like it's very hard to handle on Luton. They've only played one game. They played one of the better teams in the league. They got walloped, but they did at least keep it competitive for the first, what, 75 minutes or so. Um, didn't get to have their home opener. So we will get their homer next Friday uh, when they'll also be on TV hosting West Ham and that'll be our game at Kenilworth Road. And I'm excited for that one. But for this weekend, I don't hold hope for them because I think Pochettino will be starting to feel a little bit, just a little bit of pressure, not not job pressure, but just results pressure. Like it's Chelsea Football Club. You're Two games into the season, you've got one point. You know that this is an owner who's trigger-happy. You know that this is a fan base that's very entitled and believes that their God-given right is to win the league every year. So he will be feeling a little bit of pressure there. There's also the fact that they've spent an incredible amount of money. So, you know, he can't really cry poor in terms of backing or what squad he has at his disposal. So very clearly, they don't have a good goalkeeper, a, a top end goalkeeper. There's no striker there that you'd rely on. But against a newly promoted team, I think you'd have to fancy them to get the result at home. I'll go three one to Chelsea. Yeah, and if they don't get that result, I mean, it'll be funny. <laughs> but yeah, Todd Bowley is a bit of a lunatic, as we see, so that could be interesting. Um, another thing that's interesting, though, is Saturday, the early kickoff, we have Bournemouth against Spurs, Dave, and <clears throat> you're obviously a fan of Celtic as well, and your love for Ange is well known, and I think 
the the uh, Manchester United game was showing the start of the Ange era. Obviously, mm. the Brentford game was a bit bit more competitive, and that second half against United showed probably more what the blueprint's about. But on the other end of that, uh, on the other half of that uh, fixture, we have Bournemouth, who we obviously watched last week as Liverpool fans. Um, very competitive, and it's very different from the Gary O'Neill. They, they will press high, they will try and compete rather than just hit on the break. Yeah, where Gary O'Neill employed that deep block and was trying to draw position in and, and hit them on that center. Bournemouth this season are, are taking the game to the opponent. Took the game to Liverpool for the early stages. They took the game to West Ham their opener, and they play good football. They're well organized, clearly very well trained and very prepared. But this is another big test of them, and you know it's it's a little bit tough for you know a, a manager who's just come in the league to get two of the top what we say, two of the top seven teams. League. I know Spurs didn't finish in the top seven mm-hmm. last year, but if we consider the big six and Newcastle, given their wealth as like a new big seven, mm-hmm. to have two of your three games be those sides is, is tough. But this is an early kickoff at home with always an advantage to the home team, um, as Liverpool have found out many times in playing these games. I love you, like you said. I love Ange. I, I love the persona. I love the way he goes about his business. I love how just open and honesty is about things. There's no the BS with him. There's no fluff and bluster the way there is with Rogers. There's no lies like the way there is with Rogers. And I love how his team plays. That Celtic team that he built over his two years there is the far the most enjoyable and best Celtic team I've seen in my lifetime. And I, I do expect this Spurs team are going to be very, very good under him. Um, they have some injury issues this weekend, though. Obviously, Benton Kerr still working back. Knee, Sinyon still working back from his his uh, hand surgery. Brian Hill is out, having had surgery. James Madison is a doubt, which is a big goal. He's been important for them in that creative number 10 role. And Alfie Whitman is out as well for the uh, for the foreseeable. But Bournemouth also have a lot of players out. Alex Scott, they bought him. He's not ready to play. It'll be a while, so they're waiting. Oata, he's out. Adam Smith is out. Tavanier is out. Or Tavanier is out. Tyler Adams is out. Lewis Cook is out. Ryan Fredericks is out. And Emiliano Marcondes is out now. I think he's one they'd probably like to sell, and don't be surprised if he ends up in Saudi because their window closes two weeks after the Premier League's window. So don't be surprised if if Marcondes ends up going direction. But it'll be tough for Bournemouth with with that many players because you'd look at that and you'd say Adams is a starter, Cook could well be a starter, Scott could be a starter, Otara is a starter. And Tavernier is probably a starter. It's probably Tavernier and Oatara as the wingers. And then Adams and either Cook, Scott, depending on the opposition, as the midfield too. So that's that's tough to overcome. But we saw them against Liverpool without those players put together a really good performance and were quite unlucky at spells in the game. So I'm 
I'm confident this could be the most fun game of the weekend. I think I'm going to give Spurs the edge purely because I do rate Ange so highly and they don't have the same injury problems. Like Madison's a blow and Bentoncourt would be a starter, but Basuma is playing really well. Papi Matar Sar is very good. And they do have some other options of what they can do in attack. So, I mean, they could play Perisic as a 10 if they wanted. He's played there before. He's not as creative as Madison, but he does offer a bit of guile. You could play Manor Solomon as the 10. You could play Son as the 10 and Solomon off the left. So they have options. I'm going to go 3-2 to Spurs. I think Spurs are still a little bit too open at the back. So I do think Bournemouth can hurt them. But Spurs going forward, playing that Anish style of football, they're very, very hard to stop. So we'll go 3-2 to Spurs. Yeah, I quite like the Spurs team as well. It's just, well, I'm not allowed to like Richarlison because, well, he's... No swear words allowed. <laughs> He's a very unlikable sort. Yes. Yeah. And like, let's not re- let's not gloss over the fact that he got more yellow cards last season for taking his shirt off to celebrate goals that were then ruled out for offside than actual goals scored. Let's not forget mm. that fact. Um, but he like, there's no doubting he is a good player. He's not a, a megastar. He's not a sixty million pound player. Like they I'm not paid sure he's the nine for a team trying to get in the Champions. League. I know no. he's not. I know he's the nine for Brazil, but they have Neymar, etc. Next, well, he's, he, that's <laughs> the thing. He, he's in there to do the dog work because Neymar doesn't want to do it. And they've got Vinicius and they've got Rafinha and a whole bunch of other like stars. He's not a nine. He's more of a second striker. Like he's the guy mm. you play off your number nine. He does all the work in the. He's like, he's a, he reminds me quite a bit of Ollie Watkins in that way. Like I've always said, I think Ollie Watkins off someone like an Ivan Tony or Tammy Abraham would be excellent. And I kind of feel the same about Richarlison. And I do wonder if, and I said, this is what I would do. I do wonder if Spurs would buy, will, will buy Ivan Tony. Brighton seemingly have put an 80 million pound price tag on him. My assumption is they'll do business for less than that because come January when he's, able to play again he only has 18 months left in his deal so my assumption is that they'll take 70 for him in January and I think Spurs should be right at the front of that list to get him because I think he'd be ideal in that team yeah yeah I think he's the perfect striker for a team like Spurs and if if they can't there's no point gambling on like a Lukaku which has been slightly linked I'd rather just wait for Tony and play Richarlison see what happens um but anyway, on to a game that could potentially be a bit ugly, Dave, and it's Arsenal against Fulham. Now, I think mean, last season this could have been a fun game, but Arsenal have started the season obviously getting the max points, but they're not playing really well and it's a bit ugly. And Fulham beat Everton, but got outplayed by Everton, and last week we just got battered. Um, so it, it, I think this could be an ugly game, but I'd still expect Arsenal to win. But Fulham seem to be in a bit of bother and... They need to do quite a bit of transfer business in the last week. They do. I mean, they've they've got to go and replace Mitrovic. There's absolutely no way around that. They've got to find a reliable source of goals, and they need they need help elsewhere as well. This is the Fulham way of just waiting far too late in windows. Now it worked out for them last season, but I, I, I'm having struggles with Fulham this season. I do think there's enough bad teams in the league that they're okay. 
But mm-hmm. still, I'd like to see them get their act together. No Tim Ream for this one. Willen is a doubt. Arsenal have a number of injuries. Um, Gabriel Jesus is out. Tommy Asu is suspended. Uh, Sambi Lakonga is out. Balgun is out. But like those two wouldn't be playing anyway. El Nenny is always out. Jurian Timber is out, obviously, after the, t- the torn ACL. He'll probably miss the whole season. You would expect Arsenal to win this game at home against a team that are bottom half in all likelihood this season. Similar bracket to the two teams they've already beaten in Forest and Palace. I think Arsenal might huff and puff a bit in this because I still think there's a lot of issues they need to solve in that midfield area. But if they could get an early goal... It wouldn't surprise me if Arsenal ended up winning this game like 3-0. Now, last season when these sides played at the the Emirates, Arsenal were very fortunate to win that game. And Fulham came away feeling very aggrieved. Now, the most aggrieved person was Mitrovic, who's gone. But I do wonder if it'll just spur them on a little bit that, you know, they they felt robbed. I wouldn't agree that they were robbed but they felt robbed last season. I do wonder if that just gives them a jolt, but I'm going to go with a 3-0 to Arsenal. Yeah, if the front line is Jimenez, it's not really a threat, is it? And Although Arsenal's back line's a bit weird with party at right back and on steps into midfield. Gabriel, Gabriel, if I say his name properly, seems to be questioning whether he wants to go to Saudi or Barca have been linked, I think. So they need to get that sorted because the defence is a bit weird, although Saliba is very good, as we know. But um, it could be got, but probably not with Raul Jimenez. But anyway, we'll move on to uh, another fun game. Uh, Brentford, who have started the season really well. And Palace, who started the season as expected. <laughs> a bit boring under Roy Hodgson, but haven't really mm-hmm. brought anyone in. Whereas Brentford, Dave, I mean, I think everyone was a... Maybe not worried, but interested to see how they'd replaced Ivan Tony, and they're not even dipped into the market to do so. They've just trusted um, the lads that are there in Wissa um, and Embuemo mainly, but we saw, I think Sade started the last game as well, but Wissa started the yeah. season by him. Yeah, he has. He has. And for him, consistency is going to be key. This Brentford team, they're, they're arguably the best coached team in the league. What I mean by that is they're so well-drilled and so disciplined. Everyone knows their own role, and everybody's completely bought in to what their role in the team is. So for Thomas Frank, if he has somebody out, he knows he can just bring in the next man up and get everything they have to offer. And they're they're a very admirable team in that, that regard. Now, a lot of people don't, really enjoy watching them play because they can be a little bit direct. They can be quite physical. They rely heavily on set pieces and stuff like that. So, you know, you you could you could make an argument that they're a little bit agricultural, but when they get it down on the floor and they play and get interchanges, they, they can do that as well. They, they kind of marry both quite well. No Ivan Tony, no Josh De Silva, and a doubt over Ben Mee. And obviously Ben Mee is an important player for them. So that would be a blow if he misses out. Uh, for Palace Nolise, he's obviously out with the with the hamstring injury that he got at the Euros, the under-21 Euros. Will Hughes, um, he got hurt during a preseason game. 
And Mateus Anka, the only summer signing they've made, he's out with a back injury that he had when he arrived. So they're a little bit light in attacking areas, but they should have, you know, a decently strong defence bar the hole at right back. Not a big fan of Sam Johnston, but he started the season okay in goal. Lerma and Decore, very, very good in midfield together. Like just a lot of a lot of work and graft and defensive gnarl. And both of them are good enough on the ball as well to offer something going forward. But a lot will depend on Ebri Chiesa. Without Elise having lost Aha, you've got him, you've got Eduard. And then kind of struggling because AU, it just isn't it. He he works really hard. He's basically their version of Dirk Kout. But do you remember when it became clear that Dirk could no longer play? Mm. That's kind of what this is like now. And it has been for years with him. And obviously he was never as good as Dirk to begin with, though he was quicker. Um, I think this will be a, a decent game. I'll go for the Brentford win at home. I'll go 2-1 to Brentford. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Now, Dave, question. Is it too early for a relegation six-pointer? It's never too early. Never too early for a relegation (laughs) six-pointer. And you know what's funny is when I was looking at these games last night, I couldn't take my eyes off this one because it's just... It's a potential horror show for one of them. It really is. Like, obviously, both of these sides have lost their opening two games, but one of them at least put on a really good show in one of the games and looked like a team that might actually be able to do some stuff this year before getting pummeled last weekend. The other side, they look like a train wreck, and they also got pummeled last weekend. Yeah, it's not pretty. It's not pretty, like... Wolves, the FFP situation, losing Lopetegui on the eve of the uh, the season mm. bad enough. Everton, we saw, uh, was it a failed investment earlier in the week, which could have alleviated some of the FFP issues they're having. Um, I, I just, <laughs> when you look at Wolves' business, I don't think, I don't see it as bad as, or embarrassingly bad as some of Everton's in recent times, but yeah, but Fabio Silva was at 40 mil and he, now he's only mm-hmm. trying to get opportunities due to desperation more than anything. Cunha getting bought by the manager, then the manager leaving. It, it just, these two clubs, probably two of the worst managed clubs, financially anyway. It, financially, really for sure. Weird, yeah, just a weird situation. But in terms of the football, Dave, I mean, should we lock in nil nil and call it a day? Or? <laughs> yeah. It- it, does, it, it has a smell of nil-nil, doesn't it? Because like, mm. there's no goals really in either of these teams. I think there's more talent in the Wolves team than there is in the Everton team. But I would mar- I would have Dyche as a better manager than O'Neill. So I think that might just balance itself out. Um, most, to be fair, are only missing Matthias Nunes. So everybody else is available for them. Ed's missing quite a few players. Bit, by the way. <laughs> he yes. Lost. Yeah, he, completely is, gone. he is still... My bet is he is walking around the car park of the stadium, still furious, waiting for the referee to come out. And like the ref's gone out another door, gone home, had a whole week of just you know, doing whatever it is he does during the week. And Matthias Nunes is still waiting there 
and will not accept that this man has left the stadium. Will not accept that he's not still in there. And he'll be there next week as well when he has to go and play a game, potentially for Man City. Um, but for Everton, no Seamus Coleman, no Deli Alley, no Jack Harrison, who I think was actually a sneaky good signing for that. Yeah, no Calvert-Lewin, no Alex Awobi, no Dwight McNeil, no Andre Gomes, and no uh, Cermetti. Now, I do question how you get McNeil and Harrison into the same team, unless you're going to play with wing-backs and play Harrison as a wing-back, which I actually really like the idea of. Like, I like it, the idea of an Everton team with Pickford in goal. I don't like the idea of an Everton team with Pickford in goal, to be clear. But he's the best one that they have. So Pickford, a back three of Michaelenko as the left-sided one, Tarkovsky in the middle, and... Godfrey? Godfrey, that's how Gordon was in my head, Godfrey on the right of it. So that is a back three I think works. Patterson is a right wing back and Harrison is a left wing back. I think that works. Mm. A midfield three of Onana, Idrissa Gay, and Neil. And then up front, you go Calvert-Lewin and Dan Juma. So when everybody's fit, I actually think that's a pretty good team. Is it a top-half team? No, it's not. But it's certainly not a team that's getting relegated, in my opinion. Mm. I think you've got more than enough there to get enough points to finish 15th, maybe even 13th, you know? That kind of range. But who knows if they ever get to see that team or or, or anything resembling that team. But that's the thing with Everton. I mean, Calvert-Lewin's obviously the big question mark because he's mm. made, he made of Pringles and I think people are starting to doubt whether he actually wants to keep being a footballer, which is a bit of an empty conversation. Nobody knows. But what we do know, Pringles, he's made of Pringle bones. Um, but even beyond Calvert-Lewin, I mean, they're playing Michael Keane, Dave. It's 2023. Michael Keane wasn't good when they signed him. No, and I said during during the summer that this was going to happen, that he would play Michael Keane and Tarkovsky as a pairing because he is responsible for both of their careers, really. He made Michael Keane's career at Burnley and then obviously he re- he brought in Tarkovsky. They had a year or six months together at Burnley. Keane leaves, Tarkovsky becomes his main centre-back alongside Ben Mee and Tarkovsky went and had you know, a very good run there and moved on to Everton, but I knew that Dyche would want Keane and because they're Sean Dyche type of centre-backs, Tarkovsky and Keane. They are his type of centre-backs. And I do do worry for Dyche that this Everton job is just too much for him off the back of a disappointing end at Burnley. I think he fully understood the mess he was walking into. And I don't know that Sean Dyche is the right guy to tear a club completely down and build it back up. At Burnley, he was able to build on some decent foundations. There's no good foundations at Everton. None at all. And the problem they have is if they try and do a tear down and rebuild, A, they don't really have the money to do it and don't have enough sellable assets to raise the money to do it, and B, if you do that while you're threading water in the Premier League the way they are, you will go down. 
Yeah. And I, I, look, going down could be the best thing for that club because it would allow them to clear their books of all overpriced, high-earning players, all the hangers-on, all the lads that maybe aren't fully committed, and just start completely afresh. Do you think the they have is, relegation release clauses, though? And see, that, that's the thing. They probably don't. And because that Everton wouldn't drop. be that forward-thinking. Yeah. And the other well, side of it is the loss of Premier League TV money. Like, I know you get parachute payments, mm. but it's not the Premier League TV money. And Everton are leveraged to the hilt because of this stadium. And, like, mm-hmm. the, is, am I right in thinking the stadium's due to open for next season? 24-25? I'm, I'm pretty sure it is, yeah. So it would be rather embarrassing for them if, after all this time waiting for this stadium, the opening game of it was a championship game. Do you know? Mm. So it's it, they're, they're between a rock and a hard place, really. And Mashiri, look, he clearly went there with the right intentions. He did spend a lot of money in the early days, but he made poor appointments. He made rash decisions. The one time I thought he got it right, he had Marcel Brands, who's a very good sporting director, and he had um, Silva, Marco Silva. Yeah. And they were allowing other people to make decisions rather than that access. And then they made a rash decision on Silva because they had a bad spell. Whereas if they just ridden it out, let him work his way through it. I, I do think Everton would be in a much better place today than where they find themselves, which is, you know, nailed to the foot of the league and likely uh, in, in that sort mm. of role for the most of the season. I think As the for this thing game, is- so I'm gonna say I think Go you ahead. could say that about every manager from Roberto Martinez onwards. Like I know he wasn't popular yeah. at the time, but if you give him more time, could he have worked it out? And then probably Ronald Koeman, because in the job he did at Southampton, I know they had that weird thing where they bought five number tens for whatever reason in one window. But that was that's that a prime example of, of yeah. far too many people have to having input. Mm-hmm. That's what that is. And like some of those, like, why did you sign Wayne Rooney? What was the point yeah. of signing Wayne Rooney? But, you know, you look at David Moyes was at Everton from March of 2002 to May of 2013. So he was there just over 11 years. We're just over 10 years since. And Everton have had Martinez, Kuman, Allardyce, Silva, Ancelot, Benitez, Lampard, and now Dyche. That's eight permanent managers, not forgetting two caretaker spells by David Unsworth and two caretaker spells by Big Dunk. (laughs) That's 12 managers in just over 10 years following a period where you had one manager for 11 years. that That is scandalous. And if you look at even the 10 years before Moyes, say from when Howard Kendall left the first time, actually that would have been the second time that Howard Kendall left, you had Mike Walker, you had Joe Royal, you had Kendall, and you had Walter Smith, plus a couple of um, caretaker spells. But still, only four managers. Like, this is not a club that's known huge upheaval. It's a club that has had 
long-term managers like Harry Catherick, like Thomas McIntosh, like Howard Kendall the first time. Everton were never a club, like, like Billy Bingham. Everton were never a club that cycled through managers like this. But the last 10 years have been a catastrophe. And, you know, we're in 2023. The next trophies that are handed out will be in 2024. Everton will not win a trophy this season. There is absolutely no chance that they're winning a trophy this season, which means the earliest they could possibly win a trophy is the 24-25 season. And the most likely thing they could win is the championship because they're not winning the league. But they could. They could just maybe fluke a run in a cup. But that would still be 30 years since they won anything. 1995 is the last time they won anything. There is an entire generation of Everton fans who have never seen their team win. Never. And this is a club that in the 80s were one of the two best clubs in the country. And we're a great club in the 60s as well. And we're a great club way back in the 1920s and 30s. Everton have been a great club multiple times through their history. They're one of the most successful clubs in English football. You're talking about an institution, a proper footballing institution, with nine league titles, five FA Cups, and a European Cup Winners' Cup. This is not a club that's, you know, Johnny come lately. This is a club with real history. And it is it is tragic to see what has happened to them. 16 times they've been one of the top two teams in English football. 16 times. That's very impressive. But unfortunately for them, you're approaching 40 years since they finished in the top two. Their last league title, 86-87, you're approaching 40 years. You're approaching 30 years since the last trophy that they won. It's completely unacceptable and but it's fun for us as Liverpool fans to mock them. It is horrible to see one of the great English clubs in this situation. Like, when I was growing up, we had a big six like there is now, but Aston Villa were part of it. Manchester City were not. Everton were part of it. Chelsea were not. When we started the Premier League, Everton were one of the clubs at the forefront of that. And them and Villa are the ones that have fallen off. Spurs were always sort of a fake inclusion, and they kind of still are, but how and ever. Villa, at least, are on the right track. They've got good owners. They've got a really good manager. They've got a great sporting director. They're buying top players. And Everton are scrambling about signing Ashley Young, bringing in Arnett Denjuma on loan because they couldn't afford to buy him. Mm. It's it's really horrible to see a great club like Everton going through this. But I don't know what the way out for them is because Mishiri has so, shown no real signs of wanting to sell the club. He wants to sell a part of the club to get money to, fix, to, to finish the stadium. He doesn't really seem to have any interest in selling 
his shares of the club, like his his majority of the club. <clears throat> so, like I I think Sean Dyche is a good manager. I've said this to you before. I think he's one of certainly when he was at Burnley, I thought he was one of the better managers in the league, one of the top ten managers in the league. But he doesn't seem to have any support. Like I couldn't for the life life of me tell you if Everton have a director of football right now. Let's see. Uh, do Everton have a director of football? My guess would be no. I certainly, if I'm missing one, um, that's that's on me. So, let's see. Uh, right, sporting director. Uh, no, they had Steve Walsh from 2016 to 2018. You'll remember he was the architect of the Leicester team that won the league title, mm-hmm. uh, went to Everton, and it was a, an absolute mess. And director of football, no, they've only had one of them, Marcel Brands, who was brought in to replace Steve Walsh. He left almost two years ago and has not been replaced. Almost two years ago. And they wonder why things have been such a, ca- a catastrophe. Now, if you had a real sporting director, there's not a chance in the world you'd have appointed Frank Lampard. Not a chance in the world. But instead, you've got whatever it is that's going on there, desperate, desperate times at Everton. Uh, as far as this game goes, because I think I've, I've, I've enough about this one, um, I am going to go for the nil-nil. <laughs> yeah. All that for a nil-nil. Fantastic. Um, yeah, Wolves are a mess as well, but we'll save them for next week. Uh, so next up, Dave, we have another interesting game and another team that started the season quite poorly, um, and that's Man United, who welcomed Forrest to, to Old Trafford. Uh, now, Dave, if this was at the City ground, I think we could argue Forrest could really compete in this game. Maybe they still do. We, it's still early in the season, but... They have the weapons to get at Man United with with a warning against your favourite centre back, um, Brennan Johnson. Alanga started off well, seemingly, um, and Gibbs White, who I think we're both a fan of. Uh, whereas Man United, Dave, they just look unfit, unbalanced, um, I just maybe uncut, unprepared. Probably the right word for it. But yeah, playing Rashford as a nine when there is options there, maybe not good options, but there are options there. Uh, the false nine there, but it, it's an interesting game, but. United's home form is good, um, and that's what's kind of been the crutch. No, that's the wrong word. Support of Ten Hag's reign. Yeah, I mean, their home form is, is they really have to hang their hat on. Their away form under Ten Hag has been atrocious. Um, They've got a lot of injuries, and I, I, I fully agree. They don't look like a team that's ready for the season. Uh, so you've got Manu is out, you've got Mount out, Hoysland out, Maguire is a doubt. I, I, I assume he's just not being involved. We want him to leave. Uh, Malashi is out, Hamad Traore is out, Tom Heaton is out, and now Luke Shaw is out, which is a big blow for them. So both left-backs not available, which I assume will mean that the Butcher will play left-back and Lindelof will come in at centre-back, um, which improves them at centre-back, but weakens them at left-back. I'm very excited if 
Forrest reacted to that by putting a lang out on Martinez and just said, just run at him. Just run mm-hmm. at him and run behind him and we'll get the ball to you. Because Martinez's little legs will only carry him so far. Based on the Wolves game, I do think Forrest can trouble them here. But Forrest's away form is fairly atrocious. Um, if this game was at the city ground, I'd probably pick Forrest. Even with the couple of injuries they've got. Felipe's out. Uh, Aina is out. Hennessy's out. Richards is out. Even with those injuries, I, if this was at the city ground, I think I'd pick Forrest. But at Old Trafford, I'll go 2-1 United. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, late kickoff then, Dave. We have Brighton against West Ham. Um, Brighton started the season off with max points. West Ham with a good result over Chelsea and a decent draw with Bournemouth on the first day, to be fair. Um, it looks like Brighton have picked up an injury. I think Enciso's missing the year. and not the, I don't know if it's the season or the year, but he's picked up an injury. He was really good last weekend. Um, but they do have a million number 10s who can play that position, so... Um, but this should be a fun game. This one's on TV for people in the UK as well, so want to watch, I mm. presume. Yeah, definitely. Anytime you get the opportunity to watch Brighton, you should. Uh, no Jakob Motor still working his way back, and obviously in CISO, unfortunately, has suffered a, a significant knee injury. No word yet on, on how bad it is, no word yet on how long he's going to be out. But like you said, the phrasing was the rest of the year. That could mean January, it could mean the it, it depends. Um, yet another player suffering a, a knee injury early in the season. Uh, West Ham, no Agard because he got sent off last weekend. They obviously had the grin over Chelsea. But this uh, this is a much bigger test. Brighton are a significantly better team than Chelsea right now. And I expect Brighton to win this game. Brighton been the most impressive team in the league thus far. They swept aside Luton. They swept aside Wolves. I don't think they'll sweep West Ham aside, but I do think they'll beat West Ham. I think West Ham will struggle to cope with how quickly Brighton move the ball, especially in that central area where Ucek and Ward-Prowse were able to just kind of frustrate Chelsea by blocking passing lanes and stuff. Chelsea play quite rudimentary stuff in the middle of the park. With Enzo, it's, it's a strange thing. But Brighton... There's so much variety to what they do and they create new angles all the time and players will move to find new angle. And and as I said before, they will wait for you to jump to create an angle for them. They, they don't even have to do it themselves. I'm going to say 3-1 to Brighton here. Evan Ferguson will get a goal. Yeah, a bit of a baptism of fire for Mavropone, so I think. I can't think of another centre-back mm. player there. Um yeah, we'll move on to Sunday then. Uh, this isn't the televised game. We've got the um, Claret and Blue um, facing off against each other in Burnley and Villa. Burnley, again, part-time team. Only played the one game so far. Whereas Dave, Aston Villa got battered by Newcastle, bounced back really well, and then also had the European um, game last night. It was two nights ago. I can't remember. Yeah, but they battered cool. Hibs. Um so again, it's hard to know what Burnley really are. They've bought a million players and bought some more since then. Um, but you'd have to say Villa are favourites on paper, at least. Yeah, Villa will be favourites in this game. Villa's a weird team right now. Like you said, they got hammered in their opening game and then they've handed out hammering in the last two games. Um, but a lot of injuries for Villa. Uh, Buendia and Ming's out for the season. Jacob Ramsey is out. Dan Donker is out. 
Tino's out, Moreno's out, uh, Eric Boonham is out, and Emmy Martinez has a has a back injury. So he should be okay to play, but it's still a concern because their backup is Robin Olsen. Mm. Um, for Burnley, uh, Anas Zaruri is suspended. Jordan Byer is, should be okay. Obafemi and Cherlinoff are out um, and will be out for the foreseeable. Both of them have had surgeries. Um, Burnley at home. Obviously, their opening game of the season at home to the champions, Manchester City, which is always just going to be the toughest possible game. So, I wouldn't be surprised if Burnley took something here. I think they can find ways to get at Villa. I think they can find ways to frustrate Villa. I think it'll be an entertaining game because company does play decent football. I'll go. I'll go two-two. Yeah, yeah, we could see Emery settling back into not doing away games, <laughs> um, which would be fun. Yeah, for Carl, for Carl at least. Um, Televised games, Sheffield United against Man City, Dave, 4-0, pencil that in. <laughs> I think that might be kind to Sheffield United. Um, City have no KD, no John Stones, and but they will welcome back Bernardo Silva. Sheffield United, no John Fleck, no Rian Brewster, no Ishmael Koulibaly, no Reese Norrington Davies, no Jaden Bogle, Unlikely to have any Ben Slaman, uh, unlikely to have Jebson, unlikely to have McBurney, might have Baldock back and might have Max Lowe back. That's a lot of injuries. A lot of injuries and you've got a small squad and you lack quality. Oh, excuse me. Um, I, I don't see anything other than a very, very comfortable city win here. Mm. Sheffield United look well below the standard required in this league right now. And I think they're very, very fortunate that the two teams they've played are Palace and Forest. I think this will be their first time against, you know, this will be their first time against a team who are definitely going to be in the Premier League in 24-25. There is always the possibility that Forest and Palace could find themselves in a relegation battle with a couple of injuries or, you know, a big sale and they don't replace them well, whatever. City are a different class of team. Very, very different class of team. I'm going to go 5 0 to City. Oh. Yeah. You I think Alan's going to have a field day. Yeah, that, that's always the worry. That is the worry. Uh, last game, then, Dave, and it's a big one. Um, a lot of heritage in terms of fun fixtures here. Uh, Newcastle against Liverpool. Um, I mean, as a I Liverpool can't fan, begin nervous. to tell you how unenthused I am. Yes, yeah, <laughs> nervous. nervous. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, Newcastle, no Emil Kraft, no Joe Willock, no Mankio. Jolington is back though, but Lewis will likely misses out, which at least is one plus for us. Um, Thiago and Curtis Jones will miss this weekend. They're back from Monday. Trent is good to go. Ibu Kanate is a doubt, which means he won't play. So Liverpool lining up with Joel Matip and Andy Robertson flanking a back three, which is less than ideal. Now, they can mitigate that by not being just playing a back four, 
and just leaving Trent as a right back and not doing the stupid input nonsense that Lillers is pushing. If Liverpool, if Liverpool try and be too fancy and too clever here, I think they could get. I think they could get. To be honest, Newcastle are very aggressive. They're very good at home. They play a really high tempo. They're not scared of anybody. Um, last season they showed Liverpool too much respect in this tie, and it hurt them. Liverpool won the game, but Newcastle probably still should have gotten something from the game. Even after going down to 10 men, I thought from when they went down to 10 men, they were actually the better team. Yeah. So I, I would expect they to come out with a slightly different attitude this time around. They're they're not really missing anybody other than Lewis Hall, who's a... I don't even think Lewis Hall will be a likely starter at this point. Let's just say they're going to be at full strength. Uh, Liverpool, a big question mark over what happens in midfield. A big question mark over whether they can make it, and then a big question mark over who starts through the middle up front. Personally, I would start Darwin Nunes. I would start, um, what's his name? Endo was number six, and I would. <laughs> Jeez, it's not good. It's not good. Oh, it's not good at all. I'm going to say. Do you know what? I picked a Newcastle win on Scouted. I'm just going to pick a Newcastle win. I'll go 2-1 to the turn. Yeah, uh, same feelings for me. But that is the last game as well, Dave. That is it. Um, Right, before we go, I want to give people my game of the week from the other big leagues around Europe. This is my game of the week. You can pick your own. But these are the ones I'm going to watch. La Liga. Athletic Club de Bilbao. Against Real Betis, Sunday night, 8.30. There's nothing conflicting with it. Get on that one. That is the hipster choice. Uh, Syria, I will go with. Now, the best game here for me is Napoli versus Sassuolo, which is actually on at quarter to eight. So I might watch eight and then watch the second half of the... Bilbao Betis game and depending on how that game is going if Napoli are winning 3 or 4 nil, I won't watch any more of it after that but yeah that's the one I would go with Napoli versus Sassuolo in the Bundesliga um, <clears throat> for me the choice is Gladbach versus Leverkusen now it is on the same time as the Brighton game so I'll probably record one and watch the other um, Freiburg versus Werder Bremen I'll watch I'll watch some of as well uh, in France, I think the best game is PSG versus Lens. It's 8 p.m. on Saturday. So that's a pretty nice slot. PS, uh, PSG haven't won either of their few games, so they need to get their act together. Uh, Lens have had a bad start as well, but nobody expects them to run away with the league. And in Portugal, Monday night, Rio Ave versus Porto is the one I would go with. Porto looking strongly in the season. Rio Ave looked decent, but it's a Monday night game. So, you know, what else can I do? And that's it. That's all we have for this week, folks. Thank you. As always, we will see you Monday. Bye-bye.
Social Podcast Network.